Well, I'm thankful for all who have led us in worship this morning. Thankful for your attendance here uh, in our sanctuary and for those that are watching on the live stream as well. We are continuing a sermon series, Our Healing Savior. And our lesson this morning is from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 34. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You have come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed and kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word. Jesus and the disciples enter Capernaum on the Sabbath day. And naturally, they go to the synagogue. It's not uncommon in some traditions, even today, that if a particular person is present, a missionary, a divinity school professor, a pastor, they're invited to bring a word, to teach or to preach briefly or sometimes not so briefly. This happened to me by surprise one time in Brooklyn, New York in 2016. We were traveling with our student ministry and visiting Greater Restoration Baptist Church. It's a storefront church in Brooklyn. We would be with this church all week, but we started our week with worshiping with them on Sunday morning. Now, I'm responsible for this group of students that is in front of me, and I'm trying to focus on worship, but there were other pressing needs in front of me at the time. And I have to admit, I was a bit distracted. One of the deacons brings up a young lady in their church who would be having surgery later in the week. And I couldn't believe my ears when she said, Reverend Brown, would you come up here and offer a word of blessing for this young lady? I was mortified. I couldn't recall her name or what kind of surgery it was. But unlike me in this instance... Jesus guest preaches and teaches with authority. This amazed those that were gathered, 
And this teaching with authority draws a direct comparison to the scribes. We have other examples of Jesus teaching in the synagogue, even teaching in this very synagogue in Capernaum. In Matthew's gospel, we have a different story of Jesus teaching in this likely same synagogue. Now, typically, Matthew and Mark and Luke contain similar accounts of Jesus' life. These are called the synoptic gospels, leaving John's gospel as the fourth and the most unique of these gospel stories. However, this story from Mark chapter 1 is also shared in Luke 4. It's not shared in Matthew's gospel. And this is the only example of Matthew and Mark sharing notes and leaving Matthew out of it. Mark's gospel moves quickly. Most scholars believe that Mark's gospel was the first to be completed, and it reads with a sense of urgency. It's all over this text. Words like immediately and just then and at once and suddenly. Mark's gospel starts like a drum roll and builds to a crescendo. It doesn't include details like a lineage or even a birth story about Jesus. It simply tells us about the ministry of Jesus as an adult. Mark's gospel is streamlined. It's quick-paced. It's a narrative focused on the identity and purpose of Jesus the Christ. While moving at a breakneck pace, Mark's gospel does include details. And whenever there are details in Mark's gospel, this tells us that they are important. Because of this urgency, Mark often puts stories together, and today's text is such an example. Capernaum is the setting. It's the center of Jesus' public ministry in Galilee. It's not Nazareth, his hometown. It's not any of the Hellenized cities that are close by. It's in a little fishing village on the coast. Capernaum, the city of Jesus. Capernaum is the home of Andrew and Simon Peter, the tax collector Matthew, and it's just around the bend from Bethsaida. That's the hometown of James and John. While teaching with authority in this synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit cries out. Now Mark's gospel uses unclean spirit or evil spirit or demon all synonymously. This unclean spirit knows the name of Jesus and even knows his hometown. He even acknowledges that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Jesus rebukes this man and commands the spirit to come out of him. There's convulsing and shouting, and the people of First Baptist Capernaum are amazed by this. This vignette in Mark's gospel, it shows us a few things about Jesus. He's a powerful and gifted teacher. The scribes that are typically teaching in the synagogue, well, they're putting people to sleep. But Jesus has a new way of teaching. We see and hear none of the content of Jesus' teaching, but we hear about the quality of it. In this parallel text in Luke chapter 4, Jesus reads the scroll of Isaiah he folds it back and sits down and says, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And in hearing this story, there should be a few things that surprise us. 
For example, why is there an unclean spirit in the synagogue? Demonic spirits do not belong in holy places. And yet the spirit knows who Jesus is. While the disciples are unaware of the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, Fame Perkins of Boston College in her commentary on Mark states, the demon knew who Jesus was and what his mission would accomplish. According to Mark's gospel, at once, Jesus' fame begins to spread throughout the region of Galilee. Jesus is earning a reputation, and it is the first chapter in Mark's gospel. Now we move from a crowd, we move from a place where people are gathered to hear and see Jesus preach. We move from a crowded area to a house. But not just any house, the house of Simon Peter. He's referred to as Simon here, and his mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. When we hear fever now, our ears perk up, and rightly so due to the ongoing stages of this pandemic. But there was a point in modern history where a fever was no big deal. A fever might keep you home for a couple of days, but in most cases, it was harmless and benign. But in the ancient world, having a fever was deadly. Eugene Boring states that fever was not regarded as a symptom, but as itself a deadly power. Simon's mother-in-law is ill. She is on the verge of death, and when they enter the house, the disciples tell him about her at once with this sense of urgency. But unlike the healing story in the synagogue, Jesus does not rebuke her. He does not call out the fever in a loud voice. But instead, he takes her by the hand. He lifts her up from her lying down position, and the fever leaves her. The fever leaves Simon Peter's mother-in-law. The unclean spirit comes out of the demon-possessed man. These are two different Greek words, exerkoma and aphiomi, but the definitions are roughly the same, meaning to go or to send away, and they both have some metaphorical connection to rising. There is a lifting up and an arising from in both of these stories. And every story of healing and redemption, it cues us and foreshadows us to the resurrection. A rising from the grave. A lifting up of death to life. It is so evident, especially in Jesus' healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She is reclined and Jesus lifts her up. A lifting of death to life. Along with these similarities in language and word choice, there is a connection between what Jesus preached and what Jesus practiced. In this telling from Mark's gospel, we hear Jesus preach with authority, and then casting out a demon, he uses that same authority. But Jesus is not a, a showy faith healer like we might see on TV. Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law where there is no audience to grow his great fame. Instead, 
Jesus seeks to bring healing wherever there is brokenness. Jesus strives to make things complete, to make things whole. Throughout these healing stories in the New Testament, Jesus has encountered individuals and groups through healing and made them whole. We've heard several sermons about Jesus healing. Uh, he heals the man at the pool of Bethzaha. He heals blind Bartimaeus, the man with the withered hand, the garrison demoniac, and many other healing stories just in this sermon series. Jesus seems to be drawn to those that are in need of healing. And those that are in need of healing seem to be drawn to Jesus as well. Often these healing stories introduce us to a person who has a problem, an illness. They have a situation in need of repair, and Jesus touches them or speaks to them or spits or informs them that their faith has made them well. And more often than not, we never encounter this individual ever again in the Gospels. The man who is both mute and hard of healing Jesus heals him, and we have to wonder, did this man run and tell his family the testimony of God's goodness? The paralytic man that was lowered down on that mat where everyone was gathered so close together, well, he up and walks out of there, but where does he go next? We have to imagine what's next in the story, but I would think that every step for that man will be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving, a living, walking testimony of Jesus and his goodness. For the man in last week's text, Malchus, he's the slave of the high priest, and his ear is reattached after Peter cuts it off. Don't you think that listening had an extra sense of blessing for him? Obviously, the aim of Scripture in the Gospel stories is to tell the story of Jesus. But in honing in on these miracle narratives, we see the beginning of a transformation, but we don't know what comes next. In this sermon's text, though, we see the next step for Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She's healed of a fever Jesus takes her by the hand and helps her up, and she begins to serve them. This may seem like a stereotype, but Simon Peter's mother-in-law is on her deathbed. She is healed and immediately goes and starts to cook in the kitchen. And praise be to God for the people that love to serve within our families and those within this world. And quite often in my experience... And maybe in your experience, they're women. The word that's chosen here is interesting. The word that's chosen for Simon Peter's mother-in-law within Holy Scripture, serving the disciples gathered, is the same word for deacon. As Pastor Gary Charles puts it, this is no woman bowing to cultural convention and keeping a restricted place as a servant. This is a disciple demonstrating the high honor of service to those that follow Christ. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is healed and immediately begins to serve. The other disciples don't. She is raised up in healing and lowers herself down to minister. 
She is elevated with a healing touch of Jesus Christ and continues the holy and difficult and life-giving and challenging work of hosting people in her home. Let us not overlook the number of people that are unnamed in the gospel stories. We may know the names of the twelve disciples, but there are many other women and men that are working and preparing and feeding and helping in this ministry. Let us also not overlook the number of people that serve in a similar capacity within the life of this church. It honestly most immediately makes me think of the funeral ministry here at Second Baptist. A family is grieving the loss of their loved one. And yes, our our senior pastor or another minister officiates the service. And I recognize the ministry of that. I've had the opportunity to officiate a few of these services myself. But it would all fall apart if it weren't for the dozens of people that work behind the scenes putting it all together. I can almost guarantee that if one of them had a fever and was miraculously healed, they'd immediately get back to work in service. For service is the purpose of being made whole. Ministry is the work that follows healing. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is healed by Jesus, and her response is to serve those that are gathered in her home. When we are healed by Christ, what is our response? When we are saved by Christ, what are our next steps? Kara Powell and Brad Griffin have completed a book after years of research and interviews with students. The book is entitled, The Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. And spoiler alert, the questions are, Who am I? Where do I fit? And what difference can I make? Upon hearing these existential questions, it becomes clear these are not just questions for teenagers, but indeed they're questions that everyone is asking. As life adjusts and changes, as we grow in our faith, As the state of the world gives us hope or the state of the world keeps us up at night, these are questions of identity, of belonging, and of purpose. In the same way that every wedding should encourage us to renew our vows, the birth of every child should inspire us to love those around us even more. Every baptism should call us to remember our own holy moment and encounter with sacred water. Every person that decides to follow Jesus should inspire us to remember the reason we decided to follow in the first place. Every story of healing and miracle in our own lives and in scripture should inspire us for the reason for our wholeness and our salvation. Following the mission of Jesus Christ. I'm lucky enough to have visited this site in Capernaum while traveling in Israel. It was a little fishing village and now it's called the Town of Jesus. There are the ruins of a fourth century synagogue that is likely the very spot from this sermon text. The very spot where Jesus calls out this unclean spirit. And just along the way 
there's an excavated site that is likely Simon Peter's home. It's a rather mundane dwelling, typical in size. There are coarse stone walls, and there was a thatched roof made of dirt and straw. There's a couple of rooms and two open courtyards for gathering. This was likely the place that Jesus stayed when they ministered and visited in Capernaum. And as they were excavating the home, the archaeologists hoped that this was the home they were looking for. But everything seemed so ordinary about it. Then they found evidence that separated this home from the others. The main room in the house was completely replastered from floor to ceiling. This would have taken quite a bit of handwork and many, many days of labor. And in that main room, there are inscriptions saying, Christ have mercy, or Lord Jesus Christ help our servant. These are written in Greek or Syriac. But the main feature that really cemented this as Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house is the pottery. Many of the excavated homes in Capernaum, they have pots and bowls that are for daily use. But this home, it didn't have small pottery. Instead, there were large storage jars and oil lamps that were found. They were feeding and hosting a large gathering. This home had been transformed into one of the earliest gathering places for Christian believers. This home had been changed into a church. Can't you see it now? Simon Peter's mother-in-law is in the kitchen. She's cooking fish that the disciples have just caught. She's slicing up pomegranates and dates, and she's pouring olive oil on freshly baked bread. She's serving the group, and someone asked, how did you meet Jesus? And she tells the story from today's scripture. He lifted me up. I served dinner that night, and we ate together. The whole town was gathered at that door right there, and Jesus healed all of them. We are saved and redeemed, not for our own benefit, but we are saved for the purpose of modeling our lives like that of Christ. And in doing so, we expand our traditional pottery just for ourselves. We expand to vessels that show God's abundance, that show our faith, in the sharing of our time and our resources for God's glory. As we see others come to faith in Christ or experience healing around us, let us be tuned to remind ourselves for the calling to our service and the mission of Jesus Christ. For we are healed and redeemed to serve as Christ served. We are lifted up and resurrected into a new way of living as we die to ourselves and live as Christ. As we serve the world in Christ's mission, it helps us to know our purpose, to establish our identity as a follower of Christ, and to know that we are beloved children of God. Thanks be to God. And amen.